Hey everybody, welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. Um, we're, uh, we're excited to cover a lot here today and we have a special interview uh, with uh, CNBC's Kevin O'Leary. People know him as Mr. Wonderful. He's the bald-headed guy with the black suit and the skinny tie uh, on, uh, on CNBC's Shark Tank and he's also a friend of Four Star and we'll get into all that. Uh, with me here today is, uh, again, my friend, Mr. Christopher Reardon, Director of Development. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Hello, everyone out there. And Chris is uh, a newly married man. Any any food fights? Uh, in, in not recently. No, okay. No, no, lamp, no lamp throwing, <laughs> nothing like that. Okay. Well, good. Well, it's good. Uh, not even a year, so let's hope it stays well. He's our Director of Development here at Four Star. Chris, I tease him, but uh, he does a great job. He's, a, I call him the master of all things portfolio, trading reports. He's still a fan of his Cleveland Indians and Browns. Uh, he's the caretaker of his new golden doodle puppy, Hudson. And he was raised near the Factory of Sadness in Cleveland, uh, the, the home of the not-so-resurgent Cleveland Browns. Again, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Yep, glad to be here, Brian. And I'm Brian Castle, your founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors, uh, headquartered in Chicago. I'm an Eagle Scout, uh, National Boy Scout Foundation trustee. I'm a chartered advisor of philanthropy for all you people who are philanthropically inclined. We can help you give your money away. Uh, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief investment officer of, of our firm. Most importantly, I'm dad to Evan and Quinn, two of the best young men in the world, and husband to the amazing Tripti Castle. Uh, and fan of the not-so-resurgent uh, Chicago Bears. Uh, none of us were in the Super Bowl. Uh, the Kansas City one, right? <laughs> congrats so, to Kansas City. Congrats to Kansas City. Anyway, so as I said, uh, let's, let's get it on here. Today we're going to do a review of the markets, what's happening, uh, and then also uh, near the end of the podcast we'll have the interview with Kevin O'Leary of CNBC's Shark Tank. Uh, by the way, Kevin is... Uh, the chair and founder of O'Leary Shares, now called O'Shares, which is an ETF family of uh, exchange-traded funds, and we're, for full disclosure, shareholders of one of those funds now and have been shareholders of another fund in the family on and off. The OUSA fund trades mm -hmm. on the uh, New York Stock Exchange, and we were down for the listing party when they listed the shares on the New York Stock Exchange, standing on the platform, waving to 15 million people mm -hmm. uh, for 10 seconds in the morning when the market opened up anyway uh but kevin's a great guy and he's also obviously an angel investor which is what sharks is the term they use on tv because it sounds better mm -hmm. but they're really angel early seed investors they buy uh invest into companies uh in their earliest earliest stage highest risk investments i'm also an angel investor through the formerly through the hyde park angels of university of chicago and then uh, recently through other non-aligned uh, angel organizations. So anyway, so we'll have a really interesting interview with Kevin. He's a great guy. But let's get started. So uh, in the news this week, uh, we're taping this on February 5th, the Wednesday. And uh, the expectation is in about an hour, uh, President Trump will be acquitted of the charges of impeachment and uh, then be able to remain as president. Uh, we normally don't talk about politics here in Four Star. Uh, in the podcast, but I just wanted to mention this because this is something that normally would rankle the markets. We've only had impeachments three times in American history. This is the third time uh, Richard Nixon was never impeached. He just resigned. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, it's not a usual thing. It should be a very big thing, but it's turned into kind of a political circus uh, with the both sides warring. And, and so the public has kind of ignored it, really. And I think they've seen it for what it is. 
um, and both sides are fighting. So uh, it hasn't really mattered. Everyone has their own political views about this, but it doesn't matter to the market. So uh, we're not going to cover it. I just wanted to make sure everybody realized that this is something that normally would affect the market, but it really hasn't. Um, while all that was going on, however, the president did sign during the middle of that circus uh, the USMCA, which is the U.S., Mexico, and Canada a trade agreement, which is like an updated NAFTA. Now, NAFTA, the complaint about the NAFTA agreement under uh, President Clinton is that it was too generous to our partners, uh, Mexico and Canada, and in many ways we were losing lots of jobs to Mexico, and so it did some very generous things for our partners, but it really hurt America and hurt a lot of jobs. So Trump, President Trump wanted to fix that. That's what the, the updating of the NAFTA, now the USMCA, has done. Also, in the same week, he signed the phase one of the Chinese trade agreement, but as you pointed out, Chris, it may be a little muted in the short run because of the coronavirus. Coronavirus, yeah, yep. exactly. Um, but you know, for the first time ever, the Chinese have come to an agreement with us, and you know, you know, there's generally a feeling that the Chinese government are bad actors. They don't, they cheat. They don't really work well in the sandbox. They will do anything to take advantage of us. And in many ways, they have already done that. Some of their technology has been hacking into our systems and, and everything else. So uh, the fact that we could even get them to sign a trade deal is pretty amazing, actually. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what they did. But it's only phase one, mm -hmm. and now they have trouble with the virus, and they've got other economic troubles. So I think phase two is going to be hard to do. And, and certainly if the current president is reelected, uh, it'll probably not happen in, in, you know, it'll maybe happen in a second term. And if a different president's elected, it may not happen at all. We'll see. Possibly. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, um, why don't we talk a little bit, Chris, about the markets? Mm -hmm. uh, where are we going in our positioning where we are today? Yeah, so um, our current positioning, we are still fully on offense. Um, you know, the markets overall have been extremely strong. Um, we've had a little bit of bouts of volatility, mostly due to the coronavirus fears. Uh, uh, and, you know, some of those are warranted. Some of them, I guess you could say at, at this moment, aren't. Um, but, you know, that fear gets stoked and people kind of freak out. And I think right now with the market at all-time highs, um, some people are just looking for a reason to sell off. So we've had some a little bit of extra bouts of volatility here and there. Uh, but for the most part, when we've had those volatile days, they've come right back and, you know, come roaring right back up. So, um, you know, like like I said earlier, our, our current portfolios are all on offense. Our dynamic allocation portfolio has the same. We're, we're in um, U.S. equities and domestic equities right now. Or internationally. internationally. Yeah, internationally, yeah. Sorry, U.S. equities and international equities uh, right now. Uh, so, um, you know, right now we're on offense. We, we had a great January, uh, at least a good start to the year. And, um, you know, hopefully that'll continue moving forward. And we're in review season with a lot of our four-star clients. And so the question keeps coming up. Well, I'm nervous about the market. What do we do? And just to reiterate, our strategy is while we're on offense, we're fully invested and the markets are going up. We need to be fully invested to prosper in this environment. But if things were to turn down, and generally uh, the, our indicators start to turn negative, of the 12 indicators, they slowly turn negative over a period of time, that, that process doesn't start till we get about 8 to 10% 10, 8 to 10 down from the highs, wherever the highs were. And uh, so we haven't seen that. Even the coronavirus day was down 600 points. That's only 2% by the current. So we haven't really seen any any deterioration in our indicators. But um, as, as I mentioned on a recent uh, review with a client, a re recent client family, that 
uh, we may see an, a massive collapse in the market uh, very seldom, maybe only every 10 years, used to be every 20 years. We've had a couple of them in the last 20 years. Um, we don't want to go through that again. But usually when we get to that environment, people have long since kind of forgotten what to do because they've been used to easy markets. We just want everybody to know that in the portfolios that we do, that we raise cash and we use these indicators, we are very ready. So if, if even it may, may not appear we're ready because we're fully invested, but at any given time, if the market's starting selling off and hitting our indicators, uh, we will definitely take action and definitely move. Mm -hmm. But right now, uh, we're fully on offense, and so there's no re for, reason for concern. We will be updating investors as time goes on if we're getting indicator changes and then update you on the changes we're making in our portfolios. Yep. Yep, and so we have kind of the alarm bells there, and you know, right now it's kind of full bore ahead, and you know, as soon as we low start- Low volatility market, right, and slowly yep. rising, except for the corona day, right? Yeah, I mean, the volatility too, I mean, I guess the, the positive aspect of the volatile days, it's been event-driven, and mm -hmm. that's something we've talked about going on now for like two years. Uh, yeah. Primarily, the volatility's been event-driven, and not based off of a lot of economics. I mean, we've had certainly some bouts here and there, but most of it's just been off of you know, there's political news or, you know, some virus or something going on. Um, you know, it's that's an important factor because when you have those events, usually it's a quick bout of maybe in some cases extreme volatility, but then it kind of goes away pretty quickly, yeah. normalizes out. Well, and we've seen some deterioration in the economic numbers coming out in the fourth quarter, but nothing horribly serious. And the GDP number came through north of 2 percent again. So everything seems to be on track, although it was a little bit less than it was before. So we've had a deceleration, but nothing to turn negative. So now we're seeing maybe in a reacceleration. We'll see what Bob Barone has to say about this and what some of the other economists have to say. But you know, it seems like some things are turning out better. How about that jobs number? Yeah, jobs number came in at two hundred ninety-one thousand. Unbelievable. Expectation expectations were one hundred fifty thousand, so it kind of blew it out of the water. And you know, I think what some people are hopeful of is did the Federal Reserve possibly do you know what's almost kind of the the mystical soft landing. You know, the Federal Reserve's always trying to catch the economy when it's overheating, possibly lower lower rates or raise rates to kind of cut it off, and then lower rates to kind of you know, make it so we don't have a huge crash. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think some people are speculating, did they successfully do that? Did they just stave it off? You know, only time will tell. Well, and just, just by way of memory, uh, the last really bad economic environment we had, if people remember, was 2008, 2009. And the economic numbers were deteriorating all the way through the second half of 2007. Markets mm -hmm. topped out in November of 2007. Things started to deteriorate more in 2008. That's when the market started reacting. Mm -hmm. So there was plenty of notice. There was plenty mm -hmm. of warning. And that's the kind of notice that our indicators will then react to what the market is telling people to do. Yep. And then we'll be able to get out, right? Exactly. So that kind of thing will play out. We're seeing nothing anywhere near what we saw in 2007, 2008, even in the slow deterioration in the economy. Yes, there's some negative inputs that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. But then we're seeing these positive things, just like this blockbuster jobs number, right? Yep. And retail sales have been pretty good. So there's a lot of things that are still good, and some things are reaccelerating. So it's the tug of war. We'll see where it ends up. 
but it's certainly no 2008 at this point. Yep, yep. And wages have also been another strong point as well. I think wages, unemployment, record lows. Uh, so there's amazing things going the on. The U.S. consumer has been very yeah. strong. And this is earnings season now as we end of January, early February. Retail sales numbers are going to be coming out in February. And, uh, you know, earnings season has been pretty good. Facebook, now, you know, we, we joke you know, sometimes about, you know, Facebook was such a groundbreaking technology in 2004 and 2005. I remember uh, in, in my MBA program at University of Chicago, uh, every, every person who was in the program at the time got a logon for this thing called the Facebook, and we didn't even know what it was. That's what's become the current Facebook. But um, Facebook uh, was considered like by young uh, consumers of technology, oh, kind of old school now. Oh, Facebook, we don't want to be on Facebook. We want to be on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. So the young folks, uh, the, you know, the young technology-oriented kids are on, on uh, Instagram. Now I'm hearing they're switching to TikTok. And they're yeah. giving, you know, so Instagram is now kind of boring. So changes every year. But their parents who are consuming this stuff in a different way, they're on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So that's why the earnings are going up. And now we're getting a phone call. So we're going to turn that off. Um, but anyway, so Facebook did have good earnings, but the market anticipated it, so the, the stock market went down for that stock. Amazon, which we had just purchased recently, and it was kind of at, a, at an inflection point. The earnings were explosive. Uh, the channel of moving retail sales to online delivery and with delivery uh, is clearly in place. The, the stock was up, what, 12% that day or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was. Amazing day. Yep. Uh, so and and so for people who don't own Amazon, that would be a breakout signal for a buyer who doesn't own it. So if people are willing to pay that much for the stock, that's a breakout. That's a good sign. We had fortunately already owned it, and there's a little bit of luck sometimes with that. But uh, so uh, we're we're shareholders of Amazon, and the and the stock is up big. Another notable one, Apple smashed through earnings expectations with all the different devices they have. Stock was also up big. So and, you know, earnings season has been pretty good so far. Yeah, it's been interesting, especially looking at both Amazon and Apple. Uh, the similarities there because both companies are trying to pivot from kind of their original moneymaker, right? Amazon, you know, used to be heavy, heavy retail sales, and they still are online, but they also have Amazon Web Services, which is huge now and a huge moneymaker for them. And we're using it. And we're, yeah. yeah, we use Amazon Web Services. Apple, similar. They just rolled out their streaming platform. So these companies are trying to kind of mold you know morph into something different microsoft is a perfect example i mean they morphed you know microsoft was almost a dying kind of cash cow for so long and they morphed it and kind of kind of breathed life into it so yeah. um you know it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out for sure yes so as we as we go forward we'll see how earnings season finishes up um you know we obviously have this coronavirus thing to deal with chris and what's going on in china what is the latest on that yeah so um i think the latest i saw twenty-five thousand infected which in the large scope of things um you know isn't huge that the, the flu is is a significant more problem and i think everyone's heard that that's listened to the news in the last two weeks pretty much but um you know there's been hope the markets are up heavy today that there could be a possible um cure for it that's being developed in the uk there's some drugs to help fight it that were uh, showing promise in china so um but you know this is definitely going to have an impact um opec plus 
I was already way doing uh, production cuts of up, up to a million barrels a day mm. to try to stave off because the expectation is less travel, especially in China, as they've quarantined off now two cities. Uh, there's going to be significantly less travel, significant, significantly less uh, usage of gasoline and, and other byproducts. So um, the other decrease, which Brian had kind of mentioned earlier, is the decrease in trade. Uh, that's probably going to occur at least in the short term during this, uh, especially with China and just, you know, other countries kind of in the uh, Asia Pacific region. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, interestingly enough, the reason it's called the coronavirus, a lot of people may not know this, is um, that's actually a strand of virus. And the reason it's called that is because kind of the little germ molecules have on the ends of them what looks like little crowns. So they call it the oh, coronavirus because right. of the corona crown. Oh, the crown. All right, okay. So that's why it got that. It has name. nothing to do with corona beer. It has okay. nothing to do with corona beer, although I think I did see a petition that corona wanted to rename it the Bud Light virus or something. Yeah, yeah. Trying to spin it. but uh, Yeah, poor corona. They're losing sales. We'll talk about that in the interview. Yeah. So, um, but, um, you know, it, it's definitely going to have an impact. We don't know the, the length that this impact will be. Uh, could be you know less than a quarter. It could go on for the entire year. There, there's no way to really know right now. Well, we certainly hope that this uh, issue is solved and very sad of uh, the people who passed away as a result of this. And, and hopefully they get a better handle on it in China. Yep. So anyway, on that note, let's let's cut it there. Um, now we'll go into the interview. So stay tuned for the interview with Kevin O'Leary of CNBC Shark Tank. And uh, we'll be back to wrap it up. Okay, everybody, we're back, and we're back with our special guest, uh, Mr. Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, uh, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, Kevin, obviously, you're a celebrity. You're on CNBC. There's a lot of folks know who you are, obviously. You come uh, come with uh, uh, much knowledge in the public, but just just wanted to talk a little bit about your background. Um, I didn't realize that you're Canadian. I was. I was born in Montreal um, when I was quite young, though. My biological father died. My mother remarried to uh, uh, a man in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, who was just graduating from the university there, and he joined the ILO and uh, part of the United Nations. And we moved every two years to a different country because he was a productivity expert. So Cyprus, Cambodia, Tunisia, Ethiopia, France, Switzerland, Germany. I've lived all these places every two years we've moved. So it was a really interesting upbringing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I learned a lot about Asia and... Uh, it's made me a much better investor because I'm not scared, for example, to invest in real estate in Cambodia because I know it's got a long history with German and French and they have good infrastructure there. And you know the else. story. Yeah, I, and, I, and I took my kids back to say, look, you know, I grew up here. I want you to see the place. Yeah, neat. So if you're from Illinois, maybe you can help us save Illinois, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, what I remember, um, <clears throat> we lived on um, Bottenfield High School is where I went to school and it's right near the golf course there. Um, it's a beautiful area, but boy, the winters are tough. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes, I wouldn't be going back anytime soon. So we're taping this in Orlando, so we yeah. we can look look in a, at a distance, exactly. right? So so I'm flying there tonight. It's going to be really cold. But uh, but while you were in Canada, you were one of the founders of Softkey, right? Right. Softkey um, uh, was started uh, in the in my basement there, and as soon as it grew, we moved it to Boston because the market was larger. Um, the tax policy uh, was very uh, left-wing at the time in Ontario. The socialists had taken right. over power there, a guy named Bob Ray, and we were the fastest-growing com- company in the whole country. And I went wow. to see him, and um, he didn't care. 
So I said, well, watch this. <laughs> and, because it, they didn't understand that there's no, you know, there's no CapEx in software. You have coders and you move. So we moved and became, um, we went to Cambridge. Um, we became the largest educational software company in the world. We, we hired thousands of people. Um, and I, I use it as a lesson, uh, not just to Canada, to show that tax policy matters Absolutely. Um, in every country and that when you make it uh, difficult for entrepreneurs to do what they need to do and get, uh, you know, uh, attract capital, you simply lose them. Yeah. And um, I feel, you know, I'm an Irish citizen too. If you look at the difference between what Canada did and Ireland did, they were very pro-business. And we, we did a lot of business in Ireland and pretty well nothing in Canada while they had crazy taxes. Now, it's, it's moved a little bit. You know, the, the socialists are out. That party, I think, was called the NDP. Um, and yeah. it looks like the current prime minister will probably be gone soon, too. So I think the country's going to get back in, in its groove. Yeah. Now, while, <clears throat> while we're on that subject, um, I read where you made a play to become the conservative leader. I did. Yeah. I, I yeah. ran for prime minister of Canada. I don't speak French, even though I was born in Montreal. It was a learning experience for me. Politics, as I don't have to tell you, is a nasty business. <laughs> yes. But I'm I'm glad I did it. I came. I was I was uh, I was running first in every jurisdiction except Quebec, where I was hoping to get. Um, there's uh, 38 seats <laughs> out of 225 seats, and I was hoping to get 17. Um, I got seven. Oh, you didn't so, get enough. So you just can't yeah. you can't make it. You got to speak French if you're going to be the, the Canadian prime minister. Especially in Quebec. Yeah, in Quebec it really matters. But it was a good experience. Um, yeah. I won't be doing it again anytime soon. Uh, you know, it was really time consuming. But I'd never really traveled Canada before. Um, it's a beautiful country. I went to every small town and every riding, yeah. and I saw it in a way I'd never seen it before. And. Uh, I enjoyed competing in the whole political race and everything. It, it, it's just, it's so different than business. It's so crazy. Yes. And I mean, you see it manifest itself today in the circus in Washington. Yeah, we're watching impeachment hearings while we're, yeah, while yeah. we're talking you know, here. What was interesting is as I was moving up in the polls, I started getting calls from senators in all the border states that do business because I didn't even know this. We make the F-35 tail in Winnipeg, Canada. Okay. Very, very, very expensive facility. These are incredibly um, high resolution manufacturing processes and I got a tour of the tail and every single F-35 flying everywhere in the world uh, that tail was manufactured in Winnipeg. In Winnipeg, Canada. Yeah. Wow. And, and they actually have a serial <clears throat> number. Every time it sees combat they compare the x-ray of the f when it was built in Winnipeg mm -hmm. to what it looks like now to see if there's any problem. No kidding. It's amazing. Wow, really, wow, really. Wow. You know, it's a little derivative story, <clears throat> but it's interesting. Quite an interesting uh, uh, part of your life. I, yeah, it was. Like. Uh, yeah, it was. It was in 20, 20 when was it? 2016, 17. Okay. Yeah. But long before that, uh, you joined the team on Shark Tank in 2009, right? Yes. Um, I was working on a show in England uh, for Discovery Channel called... Um, uh, Project Earth, and it was being shot in 35 countries. It was a huge budget. Bank of America, uh, General Motors funded it, and the idea was um, to find uh, ways to arrest climate change profitably. Mm -hmm. In other words, any idea had to be a moneymaker, mm -hmm. and I said, I'm your guy for that. Let's go look at it, and we, we did amazing things. We covered um, the Greenland uh, is melting at a higher rate, so we designed a, a reflective blanket and covered a huge portion of the ice to see I mean, the amount of money we spent was nuts but it was so much fun doing it things like that in different countries and when I was working on that um, I got a phone call from Mark Burnett 
uh, because I'd also worked on a show called Dragon's Den, which started in England. Mm. Dragon's Den is actually Shark Tank, a different name. Okay. And Mark said, we're going to change it. We want you to work on Dragon's Den in, in, in here in Los Angeles. Um, we're going to call it Shark Tank. And I said, well, I'd love to work with you. He's the number one you know, yeah. show producer in reality TV in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. So I, I flew across from London to meet him in a place called Shutters on the beach. Yep. And we, we actually didn't um, talk about the show at all. We had some changes going on in our in our lives at the time that were similar. And um, we, I spent, I was supposed to have breakfast with him for an hour. I think we were there all day. And the next morning, a limo picked me up at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and I ended up on the lot for the test. <laughs> and I met Barbara <clears throat> and uh, uh, who was it? Who, Damon was there. Was Mark Lor- on yet? Lori. No? Mark wasn't on the show at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and none of us knew what the hell we were doing. <laughs> it was fun. The early days in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, but yeah. It, boy, that yeah. thing took off. It's now in its 12th year. It's like an iconic... It, our tape airs in 34 countries, wherever I go. I'm very proud. We've won four uh, Emmys, but the one I'm the most proud of is an award I won this year. Um, uh, biggest TV villain on earth. <laughs> and... and I mean, that, that is hard. I got 2.1 million votes. I'm so proud of that. Well, no, all the times I've met you, you're a really nice guy. I mean, they call you Mr. Wonderful, but then yeah. you do play the tough guy on the show. Well, right? I just tell the truth when it comes to money. <laughs> you know, the thing about business, it's not gray. It's black or white. You either make money or you lose money. Right. And if you, um, if you don't understand that, you will fail for sure. Sure. So, you know, sometimes people can't handle the truth, but I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to protect their feelings. I'm trying to protect their money. Right. And I think I'm doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. So, uh, so what's the, what's, what's the latest with the show now? Any new things happening that hundreds of thousands, well, hundreds of thousands of applications. We're now, uh, preparing for season 12, which starts in June. Uh, the, the producers are combing the country for ideas, so if you have one, you should go to sharktank.com and submit a video three minutes long about your idea. Uh, it's, it's, we've never had as many uh, applications. Just sorting through them is a full-time job for these producers, trying Absolutely. to find these, these great ideas. And um, I think the season, I, the, the show just goes on because We've made lots of multimillionaires. I mean, we've really helped a lot of companies. Not every idea works, obviously, but, you know, I, I think of the crop, this year's crop, I've got some real winners, so we'll see how it plays out. The one that comes to mind to me always is the one where you, uh, where you offered, the company offered to draw cats. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's a crazy guy with a crazy idea. We've had a lot of those. I'll draw a cat for you. But what we didn't understand was the power of television because by that time, 10 million people a week were watching Shark Tank. So even a crazy idea like drawing a cat, millions of dollars of orders came in. Yeah. Anything. I have a deal called Potato Parcel where we put your face on a potato and we mail it to you. Mm-hmm. It's one of my most profitable companies <laughs> in terms of just sheer return on investment. Very interesting. It's crazy. Power of TV. Right. And uh, you might recall I'm one of the original Hyde Park Angels, and we can't we can't do a cat drawing deal. We can't do that. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. So, oh, that's that's great. So, Kevin, um, you are also the founder of O'Leary Shares, or now we call it O'Shares, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, so, how did that all come about? Um, well, you know, I, I have, I was a bit fortunate, I've had some very large liquidity events in my time, and I've set up a whole series of generational skipping trusts, um, and so, you know, generally, uh, I'm no different than any uh, any client, really. Uh, I, I really need to make consistently about 6% a year off the money, 
some years are good, some years are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my trusts are very conservative. They're managed 50% fixed income, 50% equity. And so over the years, really the decades, I've tried every asset class and different kinds of managers and advisors. And, um, and I still do have a huge base of advisory business with the fixed income side of, of the money I manage. So I have a pref guy, convert guy, a bond guy, a credit guy. Uh, you know, mortgage guy. Actually, sure. some of them are women, to be honest with you. My <laughs> credit manager is a woman. So the the that part is that part, uh, and I look for duration and quality on my on my uh, fixed income side, and I generally invest in triple B and above. Sometimes special situations, I'll buy stress, but mm-hmm. it's it's a very conservative mandate. And as you know, these days, you know, back in the late '90s, we were making six percent on gubbies. Easy. And, that, and now, Easy. you know, and I have to make six, so I had 50% in gubbies. I just bought gubbies. Now my bond portfolio isn't even yielding. It's it's Duration is under five years. It's about... Two, three? Thir- yeah, yeah, 36 months on average right now. We were just looking at it last night, and we're, we're, we're yielding under 3%. So yeah. that means I have to pick up another 300 basis points on the equity side. Right. So here's the genesis of, of O-shares. I began to realize there were certain managers, um, this is years ago, that were really good at managing equities and so you know <clears> they would they would um, I'll give you an example they liked uh, companies that, whose balance sheets were slowly reducing their debt they liked companies that were providing distributions in the form of percentage of profits mm-hmm. and dividends um, they liked companies that were less volatile they really liked companies that had return on assets because there's a big scam going on out there in the utility space where you know you can go and borrow money at a really low rate and then increase your dividend mm-hmm. and it, sh- it manifests itself in a deteriorating balance sheet. Right. And so these are rules. And you know, we have we have a rule in the trust you can't own more than 5% in any one position. Uh, when when ETFs so I could never buy SPY <coughs> or any of that stuff because those are market cap weighted ETFs. And so you got a stock that may be 15% which I don't want to own that's too much volatility and risk. Right. So when, when rules-based um, ETFs came on the scene in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, smart beta, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, I sat down with FTSE Russell and said, look guys, I, I, have a, I have a fair amount of money to manage and I would like to hire you to build indexes according to rules that I'm going to give you. And I'd like to own that index and I'll pay you for it and mm-hmm. you can maintain the research on it because you got 100 research guys. Right. And um, and I was meeting with many indexing companies because indexing is half art, half science. Mm-hmm. And so I gave them my my uh, my rules that I wanted, and those rules were exactly what I'd grown to appreciate over time. I want companies with strong free cash flow. Mm-hmm. I want companies that have high return on assets. I want companies that are less volatile. Um, I want distributions of profit because if my bogey is 6% and I get a 2.8% dividend, I don't have to need that much capital appreciation. Right. And they said, we've never built anything like this. Um, we're not interested in selling it to you, but we would partner with you mm-hmm. if we can launch this. You you design it with us, and we launch it. We'll give you the American rights, but we may want to sell it in Europe. I said, sounds good to me. Yeah. And that's what we did. That was the genesis of OUSA. And basically, the reason you would own OUSA instead of the S&P 500 is the rules look at all of the companies every year in the S&P 500. And it just gets rid of the ones that have deteriorating balance sheets. Mm-hmm. It doesn't care. It has no emotion to it. And it's been so successful because I basically track the S&P with 30% less downside risk. Right. And 
yields that are very <clears throat> sometimes very significantly higher than than the the SEC yield of the S and P. So so I don't use managers anymore. I simply buy a lot of USA. Yeah. And and I own you know. 200 plus whatever it is stocks of the very best quality and every quarter they're trimmed and the tax efficiency is fantastic the transparency is fantastic liquidity is fantastic I can buy a million bucks in the morning and sell it five minutes later yeah. I mean it's it's just it's a perfect vehicle um, for people with a very long-term mandate and yeah. and all I care about at my age is preservation I don't mm -hmm. need more money I need to keep what I've got keep it yes yes well and for full disclosure uh, four-star client, many four-star clients will be listening to this podcast, and we have a lot of investors in OUSA. It's done very, very well for us. So yeah, thank I mean, you. It's I, a great I, model. I, I'm the, I was the first investor. <clears throat> I was the first trade on the New York Stock Exchange. I stood on the, stood on the balcony, <laughs> and I was the first buyer, and I have never sold a share. And uh, I'm very, yes. very, very happy with the performance of that, which shows you that smart rules-based um, ETFs can really be efficient. Yes. They're cheaper, they're transparent, and I love the way they... They, they don't get you caught up in capital gains taxes most of the time. They're right. they're very efficient in how they. Then you decide when you sell it. Right? Yeah, if you, you decide. Do, yeah. But, you know, I don't see selling it because I need. <clears throat> I can't time the market and I need the distributions. Right. Well, and then there's OGIG as well, which is another great. Yeah. After the success of OUSA, I said, well, why can't we do this in the mid cap space? That was, you know, OUSM. Why can't we do it in Europe? That was OEUR. But the one that was really uh, interesting for me was OGIG because I own the FANG stocks. Everybody owns the FANG stocks. But then I found out there's companies growing faster than FANG, bigger than FANG in other places in the world, particularly Asia. Mm -hmm. So there's like 15 companies that are, are like FANG. So why not own FANG and the other Absolutely. companies? Yeah. And that's what OGIG is. And it's been a great performer. I really like it. It's the growth portion of my portfolio. And it, it really, the, the rules there are all about growth and you know balance sheets and just giant companies that are really harnessing the power of like you know e-commerce yeah well you obviously are, are a wealthy investor yourself and so that's how this whole thing started um do you have any advice for high net worth investors in this environment where we are today any sp general advice or specific advice about yeah, how to handle I mean, their investment I, mean the, I, I can speak to the way i think of things um you know i'm a preservationist so i really uh, what i care about is you think about a trust that's um set up back in the, you know, for me in 1999 that takes care of extended family, a bunch of uh, charities and hospitals in Boston. Those managers don't, I mean, th those people that are receiving those checks every month, they, they don't, you know, they're, they, they don't, they just want them, they want the check every month. Yeah. They don't care about, so, so for me, it's about how do I get that 6%? Right, right. Year in, year out, meant it, and so I want preservation. If the market corrects, and I'm sure it will at some point, I don't want to participate in the whole correction. Right. And to me, that's, all, that's the most important thing. Avoid, I, avoiding downside. Yeah, yeah. so every, every index I build, <clears throat> everything I do in my investment strategy is how do I avoid downside? I don't need to hit it out of the park. I just need to keep what I got. Yeah. And I got to make 6%. Now, we've done way better than that. Yeah. Last year was fantastic, and I'm happy. But it's not going to be that way forever. Yes. And making a grind out 6% a year ain't easy. Yes. And so for, for high net worth individuals, I say, you know, diversification is the free lunch. And I own lots of, you know, I own a lot of real estate. I got a lot of, I own gold. The only, I don't own Bitcoin. I'm not saying people shouldn't, but... You know, to me, I'd rather have gold. I understand gold. <laughs> I like gold. And so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different ideas, but the one thing is diversification. So I like 
I still have a 50% in fixed income, which has been a really tough place to make money, yeah. but it provides stability. I still got a lot of real estate. My rules are very simple. No more than 5% in any one position across my net worth. Right. No more than 20% in any one sector ever. Right. So I, so that, if you just- Just in case. Yeah, just in case, because you know, if you look at um, my portfolio, and I look at my portfolio every 30 days, mark to market everything, and I look at the percentages of the, of the sectors and the positions, and sometimes I'll have to call my guys at the office and say, look, this particular, um, like lately we had our real estate got past uh, 33%. Mm. And I said, I, we got to sell some stuff. Got to get out. And, and yeah. so, you know, so now I'm sitting on a mountain of cash again and I'm redeploying that and mm-hmm. it's going into the same things, you know, the OUSA, OGIG, yeah. OUR. Yeah. Cause, but that's diversified though. Yeah, it's okay. diversified. Yeah, I, I, I own a thousand stocks across my portfolio yeah. of ETFs. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of the diversification strategy. Nice, nice. So we're talking about preservation. Do you have any ideas of the best growth investments over the next five years? Yeah. I, big I, time growth. Yeah, big time growth, I'd have to say, is going to be around e-commerce because the trend just doesn't stop. The reason Amazon, which is a name I own and is in Go-Ogate, hit new highs recently. It is had a good week, yeah. It's so clear. All of us just... I don't go anywhere to shop anymore. Right. I it's get, all online. <laughs> I just get online. Yeah, yeah. But but I need to find the Amazons in all the other countries too, because you would think Amazon's big in China, not really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Alibaba's big in China, so I got right. on that one. And right. Tencent and and all of these. Cato Libre maybe. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. for me, the growth portion of my portfolio is simply Ogig. When I want growth dollars, I put it in Ogig. Yeah. And and to, that's 50 names. That's diversification. Nice. Yeah. So, Kevin, you've been a great friend of Four Star, and uh, some of our listeners remember this. Uh, we, you were a visitor to our office, and we had a, a little session uh, in one of the conference rooms. And that, do you remember, Kevin, that day actually was the eclipse day. Do you remember that? Yes. It was Monday, the yeah. 21st yeah. of August, 2017. And we had a quick meeting, and all of a sudden, everybody was leaving quickly because it was going to get dark. Right. And, and then half see, the city see, was driving was a, down to St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> right. Solar eclipse. Right. <laughs> Solar eclipse. Yeah, that's right. That. And you had to go down to that band of yeah. uh, of what would turn ultra dark somewhere between like Carbondale, Illinois, yeah. and Joplin, Missouri. And then everybody so. realized that night you could see it on CNN. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't matter, but that was yeah. a fun time. So you've been a great friend of Four Star. Uh, so we very much appreciate that. Kevin, turning to the economy, economy's been on a roll, and we've had a really incredible period of time. What What do you see for the future here? Well, I have a, a, a secret index, I'll confess to you, because I own over 50 private companies in almost every state. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are a result of, of investing in these, these little private companies. Some of them have grown pretty big on Shark Tank for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And so I get the tear sheets on cash flow on every single one every month. Mm-hmm. And they're all over the map. I've got greeting card companies, wedding cake companies, uh, you know, online companies. We do the back office and wedding registry for Target. I mean, we, we got a, a lot of businesses doing a lot of things, manufacturing. So, you know, about three years ago, um, I started to notice uh, a really remarkable transformation in in the cash coming out of these companies. Mm-hmm. Like real growth started mm-hmm. to happen, and it wasn't tax reform that was doing it. It was um, deregulation yeah it was changing the federal and then the states were catching up uh, I have a company for example called wine and design that that takes over old uh, mall locations with 1200 square feet and brings in ex, you know experiential uh, things like 
uh, painting classes, mm -hmm. and so you, you paint with wine, and they're sold out in every every county they're set up, and people want to at night meet their friends, have a glass of wine, mm -hmm. learn how to paint with an artist, and using the old mall space. Or yeah, whatever, but yeah. we couldn't do that with the old federal regulations, oh. and so uh, when the administration changed and the new government came in, they they started ripping all that stuff out, yeah. and all of a sudden business started booming, and so. You know, people say, what about a recession? I don't see a recession. I, 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 I see more of the same. Mm -hmm. uh, China was the wild card, and now there's a quasi-deal. I think after the election, they'll continue on negotiating it. And, you know, I know there's a big circus going on in Washington. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about policy. The policy in America today is, is like the 60s. It's pro-business. It's working. It's yes. fantastic. Yeah. It, we're still the best place to invest. And I don't see it changing. You know, people say, what about the election? Well, I, I, you know, for me, I don't, I know what's going to happen. People vote with their pocketbook and they, they, they are, everybody's employed. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of craziness and some really wild ideas about free everything for everybody, but I don't think that's going to work. It's not going to work. I don't think it's going to work. I think Americans aren't stupid. They say, whatever, this, whatever has happened, I'm, I'm humming. I'm working, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm busy, yeah. and I'm not watching cable TV because I, I, I have to go to work. And so I just think, and I'm not trying to endorse Trump and all that stuff. I don't want to get in that debate. The policy is fantastic. It's doing really great. Yeah. And, and uh, like, who's, I don't want to switch out. I don't, I don't want anything to change. Right. Like, just, I know, I know everybody wishes, you know, he was different and all. I, I don't care. Yeah. I just want the policy. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's, that's, for me, is I'm staying the course staying long my equities i don't see a better alternative than dividend paying high quality OUSA shares and i'm sure we're going to get a correction somewhere as we should i yes. mean that happens i've yeah. been an investor for a lot of decades right now though people are pretty happy we're hitting new highs of course until the coronavirus last week yeah, has been a, a little sloppy yeah. bit of a wild card i'm sure I'm but sure. you know that's what you, you're going to get something like that oh is that was stuff but ho happens. hopefully we have more communications around the world now than ever before so we can try and isolate uh what's going on nobody knows for sure but um remember sars i lived through that yeah well, those are sars yeah. Uh, yeah and and you know as a as a as a community as a health global community we figured that one out quickly and yeah we'll figure this one out too. millions of lives are saved and yeah. hopefully we'll do this one it's hard to know yeah and uh the poor makers of corona beer are, are taking a beating because there are some people actually not <laughs> buying corona beer because of the coronavirus uh, yeah, how does yeah, that yeah, work i know anyway, i know but anyway. that too will that too <laughs> that'll will pass. pass yeah that that'll pass, pass. Well, good. Well, uh, you know, today, Kevin, we are in, as I said earlier, we're in Orlando. We're a short drive from the madness that is the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hotels are filled with expensive shirts, hats, $500 hotel rooms. More than uh, that in Miami. And more, much more than that in yeah. Miami. Are you headed down there? You... Yeah, I'm going to, um, you know, for me, I've done many Super Bowls, but what I, the, the actual game itself, I'd rather watch on TV, I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. I like the commercials. I yeah. like to have my friends around me. Commercials are great. And, and. When you're in the stadium, you kind of miss that yeah. thing. But uh, the parties uh, tonight, for example, uh, it's gonna. All the sharks are flying into Miami. We're gonna do some shark attacks in various parties tonight. Nice. It should be a lot of fun, and it, you know, it helps promote our show. I absolutely, guess, you know. absolutely. And by the way, we're moving to Friday nights on uh, the last week of February. Oh, you are okay. Good, yeah. good. We're excited about that. And you live in Miami too, don't I you? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, I think it's a state that provides great tax uh, policy. I've moved all my businesses. They're headquartered there. Um, nice. You know, I like to see competition with states, uh, and I think I, I think 
any time you can, first of all, the weather's great. I can get <laughs> anywhere from, uh, as I did today, from Miami. Um, and I really, I really like the pro-business vibe in Florida. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to help entrepreneurs. I, I have a lot of, I'm, I'm all about entrepreneurship, all about less government, mm-hmm. more pro-growth, more, you know, business. I mean, it's, and I, what I always find is, you know, my kids are just getting that age where they're starting to, their careers and they were all socialists till they got their first paycheck <laughs> wait now, look what they took from me yeah and, and, and they say what is this what's this tax yeah what is this and all of a sudden they yeah. swung way over to the right yeah, absolutely yeah, it's funny. absolutely it is funny well great well kevin thanks you're an amazing businessman iconic figure in the business world and uh we're very very fortunate investors in oshares yeah and very fortunate to have you on the podcast today thank so you so much i really enjoyed it again hi to everybody and uh have a you know we're all in the same boat together. I always say this. Yeah. It's you, you, the two things in investing that I've learned is uh, diversification, and you got to find great advisors because you can never do it yourself. For me, I tried to even manage my own fixed income. That was a really bad idea. <laughs> like, and so, so I work with a lot of advisors, and I, I a lot listen. of smart people out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's great people, and, and they force you know the woman that runs my credits. So I call her Mrs. No. She hates everything. Every deal that we look at, she hates. She keeps you out of trouble. As she does because she's so you know conservative and she understands the mandate of preservation. And that's yeah. if we're going to leave on something, it's about preservation and being rational and not emotional about your investing. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for being with us, and hopefully we can do this again. Thank you. That was Thanks great. Thanks very much. Terrific. Take care. Thanks. Good luck in uh, Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the uh, uh, interview with uh, CNBC's Kevin O'Leary. Uh, we're going to be doing an interview with uh, four-star economist Bob Barone in our Reno, Nevada office here shortly, and that's going to become a regular feature also. And so uh, thanks for being with us in the podcast, and uh, we will see you on the next uh, episode of the Four Star Podcast. Thanks for being with us.